0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and enmity. I'm Jared Brumman, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. In this episode, we're diving into the next installment of our study in Philippians. This is a continuation of the message Rob delivered at Warren Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com you'll find rob's blog post podcast feed bookstore free resources and more if you've not already be sure to subscribe to this podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast now here's your host robert j morgan there's a great hymn that says joyful joyful we adore Thee, god of glory Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and darkness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. So that's the first thing. In any imperfect situation, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And secondly, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. This is a word in the Greek that means graciousness or it means etiquette. It's actually just the opposite of anger. When we are anger or irritated, we get harsh. But when we are patient and gracious, Then even though we may feel irritated on the inside, we have the control by the Holy Spirit to be gracious to people. It doesn't mean that we are weak. Gentleness does not mean weakness. It just means the absence of unnecessary harshness. Jesus could sometimes be very stern. I mean, he looked at those Pharisees and he said, you're snakes. You're a brood of vipers. You say, well, was that being gentle? I can tell you that he never said anything with any more harshness than was absolutely necessary at the time. He was always as gentle as possible, and that's why people found him so approachable. I mean, isn't it amazing that the lowest class of society felt absolutely free, drawn to come to him and to interrupt him? or to, you know, break up the ceiling and lower someone down to him, or to push through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. He was gentle and approachable. And anger does a lot of damage. When I look back over my life, I'm embarrassed about, number one, some of the stupid things that I've said when I just reacted spontaneously. Um, But number two times when I have been irritable or angry and it's done damage to a relationship and the Bible says to be gentle it says about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is gentle of spirit that a smoking wick he will not extinguish that a reed that is falling over he will not break he did things with a certain graciousness that we should develop And in an imperfect world, when you lose your temper or you're too harsh, then it makes things more imperfect. When you have the ability by the Holy Spirit and by self-control to be gracious and not to react immediately, then there's something very powerful about that that makes things a little bit better. Psalm 29 verse 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. I'll never forget when the Lord just hit me over the head with that verse. A fool gives full vent to his anger. So be gracious, it says. Be gentle. And then thirdly, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, that is not a commandment. It's a statement of fact. But Paul was intending it, I think as a commandment, we could just add the word, keep in mind, or the word, remember, the Lord is near. Now, this is a very, very difficult phrase to interpret. I've been preaching through Philippians, as I said on my podcast, and I've not had a great deal of difficulty with the interpretation of the sentences of this book. It's a very simple little book, but when I get to this one, what did Paul mean When he said, the Lord is near, and I go to all of the commentaries that I have, and half of the commentaries say one thing, and half say the other. Some people say that what Paul had in mind was the Lord's coming is near, that he is about to come again. He is very close. We're in an imperfect world, but the Lord is coming soon. His coming is near. And Paul seemed to believe in the imminent arrival of Jesus at any time. And isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That before we leave here, before we get home, before we go to bed tonight, before we get up in the morning, Jesus could come again. We used to sing a song that said sometime, uh, Jesus is coming to earth again, maybe morning, maybe soon, maybe, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. But there's no maybe about the soon part. He is near at hand. When you look at world conditions right now and this matrix of evil, And Xi Jinping just elected basically for life as the head of the Communist Party in China and the kid in North Korea and the Ayatollah in Iran and the dictator in Russia and all of these things merging together and Israel in the middle of it and America falling apart in so many ways. We say, what is going to happen to this world? It is not only imperfect, it is in chaos. Jesus is coming again. It's all setting the stage for his return, and we should be eagerly awaiting that moment. Every day we should think, Maranatha, the Lord may come today. So some people think that's what Paul meant here. Other people say that he meant the Lord's nearness is with us right now. The Lord is geographically near. James said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And the psalmist said, the nearness of my God is my good. When you begin to think that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is within us and around us. He is with you all the time. You get on your bicycle to ride on the beautiful greenways here along the river, and he's going with you. You play a round of golf, he's with you. You go to class, he is with you. You work out in the gym, he's with you. You go to bed at night, there he is. He is just a constant companion with you. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a powerful thing. I read one writer who said the essence of living the Christian life is actualizing the practice of the presence of God around you all the time. So maybe that's what Paul meant. Well, here's what I think. And I found a few commentators who agree. I think that Paul had both meanings in mind. He was using a literary device known as a double entendre. Now, when we hear that phrase, you may think that that is simply an innocent-sounding statement that can have a dirty meaning. And comedians use that all the time. But And that's often the way that, that it is used. But literally, as a literary technique, it is a statement that can be interpreted accurately in two different ways. So Paul knew how to do that, and certainly he knew that what he was saying was true. So I think we should say, well, the Lord's coming is near, and while we're waiting for it, he is with us right now. And understanding that you have a perfect Savior coming for you and a perfect Savior who is with you now helps you deal with the situations that you face in an imperfect world. So rejoice always, let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember that the Lord is near. And then fourthly, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, those are very powerful words. According to Kindle, these are the most highlighted verses year after year in people's online Bibles because America and all of us, we need those verses. And I go to them over and over again. I am a worrier, and I can match you panic attack for panic attack. And I have gone through the Bible looking for anti-worry passages, and I've discovered the whole Bible is an anti-anxiety book. You can find promises there to help you, whatever you're going through. But there are three passages in Scripture that are the Bible's definitive anti anxiety passages. And the first one is Psalm 37 Fret not yourself because of evildoers, because of the one who prospers in his way. And if you'll read through the first eight or 10 verses of Psalm 37, it says, do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. In other words, don't be anxious, don't worry. And that's a wonderful passage. And then Jesus in Matthew 6 said, do not worry about your life. That's pretty all-encompassing. Do not worry about your life specifically what you wear what you put on because life is more than what you wear and more than the food you eat the Lord knows what you need look at the birds of the air they flitter around and build their nests they don't toil or spin or labor and your heavenly father feeds them and look at the flowers of the field they don't try to find the best uniform or outfit to wear The Lord just clothes them, and you are worth more than birds and flowers. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do not worry. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single inch to his height or a single year to his life? Just seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. And then thirdly here in Philippians 4, Paul says, do not worry about anything. What what should you worry about? Nothing. I mean, this is the Bible. If I were to say this, you know, you would laugh at me, but this is the Bible. Do not worry about anything. Worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And it's amazing to me, but I keep going back to it. I say, Lord, I'm worried about this, but you say, don't be worried about anything. So I'm giving this to you, and we have to keep processing our concerns through the mechanism of this passage. But he says, but in every situation, in every, I mean, don't worry about anything, but in everything— Present your requests to God with thanksgiving. So prayer is the divinely given machinery which takes our worries and transmutes them into praise. Problems, prayer, into praise. And it's something we have to learn to do. We grow in the ability to do that as we grow in our faith. It's taken me a long time, and I'm still perfect when it comes to it but I keep going back to this and it says with Thanksgiving so don't forget Thanksgiving I read about a man Dr. James Moore who was a pastor in Houston he would travel and speak and one day he was invited to have supper with the family and the family had several children different ages and they were teaching these children how to say grace before the meal not just a memorized phrase but to really think about what they were praying so it was the time for the four-year-old to pray and so they gathered around the table and bowed their heads and this four-year-old he said dear God thank you for the roast beef the mashed potatoes and the gravy the corn and the beans the dessert apple pie and for the plates that we're eating on and the glasses we're drinking from and the iced tea, and the knife, and the fork, and the spoon, and the napkin. Thank you, Lord, for the chairs we're sitting in, and for the table. Thank you for dad and mom, and everybody else around the table. Thank you for the ceiling, and for the light hanging down from the ceiling. And he went on and on and on, until his siblings were snickering. And finally, he finished. And Dr. Moore said, he taught me how to be thankful. There are so many things every day that I take for granted and I never really stop and thank God for those things. And Dr. Moore actually wrote a book about it. He said, our attitudes paint the pictures and the colors of our world and gratitude is so very, very important. Well, in every situation that you're in, even those, I mean, I've dealt with, tragedy and disaster. I've been a pastor for many years. I know what it's like to bury victims of a mass murder. I know what it's like to have, well, we all know what it's like to go through this life. But there is never a situation, but what if you look for it, you cannot find some things to be thankful for. And if you focus just on the situation, you'll lose your mind. But if you say, Lord, I am to pray with thanksgiving then things begin to change. There's a psychological wisdom that Paul wrote into this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you do these things, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it transcends your ability to explain it, will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the word guard there is a military term. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, I've been through an awfully lot of hardship. And I've been flogged and I've been beaten and I've been shipwrecked. And he said, once I was in Damascus and I had to go over the wall in a basket because the governor had placed guards at all of the gates to intercept me. And the same word in the Greek guard that he used there is used here in Philippians. As though the Lord, when you learn to take these five techniques and get them really working in your life, it's as though the Lord sends down his angels of peace around you and they guard, notice your hearts and your minds, your thoughts and your emotions. That's where we have worries and troubles Sometimes my thoughts just go out of control with anxiety. Sometimes my feelings go out of control with anxiety. But the peace of God is able to guard your hearts and your minds, your minds and your your emotions. And after all, the Bible says, thou will keep him in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on thee. And the Bible says, quotes Jesus as saying, peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And all through the Bible we're told about the peace that God gives us on the inside as we deal with all of the problems on the outside. And this is his formula. This is the way that I mean, here you have a church that's very good, but there's a problem. It's not perfect. But Paul said, here's what to do. And in your life, you probably, hopefully have a very good life in many ways. A lot to be thankful for, but it's not perfect. Your health isn't perfect. Your finances aren't perfect. Nothing is perfect in this world. And so we have to deal with those. But how do we do it? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember that the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Seriously, pray over those issues over which you have little control. Or no control, which are most of the things in life. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful passage for living in a world of imperfection. Now, it may be that you're here and you have never asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. He came down to this earth to die on the cross and to shed his blood in order to give you his peace and access here to these promises. I mean, this passage, this is applicable for those who are Jesus' followers. It's his word for those who know him. If you have never received him, maybe you're a child. I'm so thrilled to see so many children in here. And maybe you're a teenager. You might be a newly married. We have some newly married people here. But you've never received Christ as Savior. Well, this is the day to do it. Can you think of a better day? If you need to rededicate your life to Christ and say, I've just gotten away from walking with him and I've lost the joy and the peace, then you can make that decision to come and rededicate yourself today. If you're interested in becoming a part of this church or being baptized or you want more information, then all of that's available. Over here, there's a banner It says here for you. There's another one over there. During our song and after the service, there will be pastors and counselors there. During the first service, we had people coming and talking and asking questions and wanting prayer, wanting to make a decision. And that is what this church is here for, to help you. So if you would like to know more about the Lord or to make a decision for him, a life-changing decision today, then as we sing in a moment or then after the service, go to one of those banners. Someone there will be glad to talk to you and to pray with you and to help you. Well, thank you so much for letting me share with you. Will you bow your heads as I close in prayer? This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler condenses and posts each of these episodes as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Please share this podcast with somebody else Thanks for tuning in, and may God be with you until we meet again.